This episode of The Transmission is brought to you by Audible.com, the leader in spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. For details, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. The Transmission, episode 59, April 12, 2009. No, I'm not going to step away from the boat. I'm going to take it, and you're going to let me. My friend, you are not taking it. You're looking for this. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're back to discuss the latest episode of Lost, Dead is Dead. And here's how we're going to do it. We'll recap the episode in eight minutes or less. Then we're going to analyze the episode in greater detail. We'll hear from you all, everybody, in our feedback segment. And then we're going to skip quickly through a very short forward cabin. So, you ready? Let's get lost. Okay, so Season 5, Episode 12 of Lost Dead is Dead. It's a Ben-centric episode. We've got sort of a flashback and what goes on on the island. Let's start with the flashback. A man rides into a village on horseback and asks Richard why he saved the boy. He says Richard should have let him die, but Richard says Jacob wanted him saved. The island chooses who the island chooses, he says. The other man agrees and goes to young Ben. Ben doesn't remember what happened, but he asks about his dad. The man tells Ben he'll be back with his dad soon, but... But Ben says he doesn't want to go back. He wants to be one of them. The man says, just because you're living with them doesn't mean you can't be one of us. He says Ben should be dead, but the island saved him. And he introduces himself as Charles Widmore. Years later, older Ben is with young Ethan spying on Rousseau's camp. Ben goes into Rousseau's tent, but she wakes up and says he is the one who infected her team. He grabs Alex and says, every time you hear whispers, you run the other way. He grabs the baby and returns to camp. Whitmore says that his orders were to exterminate the woman, but Ben says she's insane and you didn't tell me about the baby. Whitmore says that he should have killed it too. Ben asks if Jacob wanted the baby dead, and if so, Whitmore should kill it. Whitmore just walks away. Years later, Ben is pushing young Alex on a swing. Alpert comes to tell him that the sub is leaving. Ben says, goes to say goodbye to Widmore. He tells him he brought his exile upon himself by leaving the island and having a daughter with an outsider. Ben says he'll sacrifice anything to save the island. But Widmore reminds Ben that he didn't sacrifice Alex. Ben says Widmore wanted her dead, not the island. And Widmore says if the island wants her dead, she'll be dead and you'll be the one being banished. You'll realize you can't fight the inevitable. I'll be seeing you, boy. We then see Ben at the marina, and he calls Widmore, saying he's going back to the island. Widmore says the island won't let him because he's tried for 20 years and he can't. But Ben says he'll succeed as soon as he kills Widmore's daughter. He's looking at her boat, our mutual friend, right now. Ben walks toward the boat past Desmond, who yells at him to stop. Ben shoots at Desmond, and Penny calls out to him. Ben tells her that her dad, Widmore, killed his daughter. Just then, young Charlie comes out, and Ben has hesitates, giving Desmond time to jump him, beat him, and throw him into the water. Back on the island in the present, Locke wakes Ben. Ben looks shocked to see Locke, but says he knew it would happen. Locke asks why Ben was trying to run away, and Ben says, I broke the rules, John.
gone. I came back to be judged. Locke asks, by whom? And Ben says, we don't even have a word for it, but I believe you call it the monster. On the beach, the 316 survivors are working. Ben arrives, and Caesar asks how he's feeling. Ben asks what Locke has told him and suggests that Locke might not have been on the plane. Ben says he could be dangerously deranged. Caesar pulls out a gun and says, I have your back. Ben is rifling through files in his office, and he finds a photo of himself and Alex. Locke comes in and realizes they are in Ben's old office. He says he never pictured Ben leading his people from behind a desk. Locke asks what Ben wants, and Locke says he wants to talk about Ben killing him. Ben says it was the only way to get Locke back to the island. Locke asks why Ben saved him from killing him first then, and Ben says, well, I needed some critical information first. Ben says it was in the best interest of the island. Locke says he's decided to help Ben. Help him be judged to see if that's true. Locke and Ben go to grab a canoe, but Caesar tells them to stop. Ben tells Caesar that Locke was making him go. Caesar tells Locke that he has to explain why he knows so much about the island. Locke says he's leaving, and Caesar tries to reach for his gun, but Ben has it, and he shoots Caesar. Locke and Ben arrive at the dock. Ben says, home sweet home, and Locke notices the other canoe. Ben says that Son of Lapidus took it after Son whacked him. Ben asks if Son hurt Ben's arm, but Ben says someone else did. Locke cracks, you just make friends everywhere you go. Ben says they're going to his house, which is the only place he can summon the smoke monster. Locke says he thinks Ben is lying. He said Ben doesn't care about breaking rules and that he's really there to be judged for killing his daughter. Locke asks why Ben moved everyone from the jungle into those houses since it doesn't seem like something the island would want. Ben says Locke doesn't know what the island wants. They see a light come on in Ben's house and Ben says that's in Alex's room. Ben goes in and he finds Sun and Lapidus. They show him the photo from 1977. Ben asks where they got it and they say it was a crazy old man in Christian who told them to wait for John Locke, even though John Locke is dead. Ben t- tells them to look outside. Locke waves at them. Hi there. Sun says it's impossible. Locke says he doesn't know why, but there must be a reason. Frank says they should go back to the plane and try and get help, but Locke says if Sun leaves, she'll never see Jin again. Sun says she'll stay and Frank tells her to watch her back. Ben goes behind his bookcase and down into a tunnel. He puts his hand into some water and turns something. All the water drains out. He goes outside to wait and he sees Sun. Sun says Jack must have lied about Locke being dead and Ben says he was sure Locke was dead. Ben says, I've seen this island do miraculous things but never once has it done anything like this. Dead is dead and you don't get to come back from that. Not even here. He says seeing Locke walking around scares the living hell out of him. They hear rustling and Ben says son should go inside because he can't control what's about to come out of the jungle but it's just Locke Locke says the smoke monster is late and Ben says it's not a train it doesn't run on a schedule (laughs) Locke says that they should go to it Ben says he doesn't know where it is but Locke says he does so they head out Ben asks how Locke knows where they're going and how he seems to know everything now Locke says Ben obviously doesn't like asking questions he doesn't know the answers to and says now you know what it was like to be me Ben says he thinks they're going to the same place to which he was brought as a child where he was healed. They arrive at the temple wall, but Locke says they're not going in, they're going under. Ben asks Sun to tell Desmond he was sorry if she ever gets off the island. They go in, and Ben tells Locke he was right about why Ben wanted to be judged. He says when Whitmore's men came, they gave him a choice, leave or let Alex die. So he did kill Alex, and now he has to answer for that. Ben says he's going to go the rest of the way alone, but then falls down a hole. Locke says he'll get something to pull him out, 
Ben's torch goes out and the smoke monster surrounds him. It shows him saving Alex, pushing Alex on the swing, Alex yelling that she hates him, and then finally Kimi killing her. Ben winces, but the smoke monster recedes and his torch lights again. Alex appears in the chamber. Ben says he's sorry and that it was all his fault. She says she knows, then slams him up against the wall. She says, I know you're already planning to kill John, but if you touch him, I will hunt you down and destroy you. (laughs) You will listen to every word John Locke says, and you will follow his every word. Locke returns with a rope and asks Ben what happened. Ben says, it let me live. Finally, Lapidus returns to the other island and someone tells him, that they found guns. Ilana and some men confront him. Ilana asks Frank, what lies in the shadow of the statue? Frank has no idea what she's asking and she knocks him out. She says, get everyone else, tell them it's time and tie him up. He's coming with us. And And thud. thud. And that's Dead is Dead in just about eight minutes. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we'll examine this episode in greater detail. We'll get to our thoughts on Dead is Dead and your thoughts in You All Everybody in just a bit. But first, we want to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 50,000 titles to choose from that you can download and play back anytime, anywhere, on your iPod, on your computer, anywhere, just like the transmission. Thanks to Audible.com, you can get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. So if you've always wanted to read the many books mentioned on Lost, Audible.com is a great way to go. For example, you can pick up Catch-22, which is the unabridged edition written by Joseph Heller. This one is narrated by Trevor White. Catch-22 was the title of a Desmond Setring episode a couple of seasons back. Um, We briefly see a Portuguese copy of the book, and um, Desmond finds it after a helicopter crash. So you're reading this book right now, actually? You're enjoying it? I'm enjoying it a lot. It's kind of a black comedy. It's a war book, but it's it's kind of absurd and and darkly comic, and I'm really enjoying it. All right. So you can make it your... Your free pick with this offer, just go to audible.com slash transmission. That's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. So, uh, Dead is Dead, episode 12 of season 5. What did you think about it? This was not my Uh-oh. favorite You didn't episode. really enjoy it? You didn't like it? No. Why? I, I was dreading doing this because I, I really can't even... I don't even really know where to start, actually. I just felt like it was a mess. I felt like... They were bringing up as many things as they were answering. I felt like there was no direction. Um, I felt like it was written by somebody that didn't really have a good grasp of how the characters really were. Like, we see Ben lying to, like, four people in this episode. Mm -hmm. And we know Ben is a liar. And we know Ben has an agenda. But he manipulates people. He doesn't just lie for the sake of lying. And I felt as if Ben was not really being himself. So and just it was frustrating. In, in general, it didn't feel like the lost, uh, it didn't feel deeply like the lost that you know and like. It felt like, I hate saying this, but it felt like fanfic to me. Oh my, that's a heck of a judgment. Well, I mean, I will join with you and say that this was also not my favorite episode in the season. I also felt it was a little weak. I mean, it was supposed to be a character-driven episode. One of our favorite characters on the entire show, Ben, by the great Michael Emerson. And I definitely agree that, that we didn't see the best out of him or his character in this episode. So a lot of uh, a lot of things I can identify with what you're saying, but I have two words for you, which is why this episode will still go down for a lot of folks as a top episode, and that is smoke and 
monster. I mean, yeah. that's all you really needed for this episode. For they could, it could have been anything. It could have been another uh, wacky episode. It could have been a, a playful episode, or not even a very deep episode. But with the answers that it gives you, as far as the mythology of the island, the history of the island, and the spectacular appearance of the smoke monster and Alex appearing and you know roughing Ben up. I mean, I think f- for the mythology fans, this episode is a top shelf episode. So maybe I agree for the character of Ben, not that strong. But but it's really hard to argue against the things that a lot of fans get really excited about because this episode delivered a lot of that. Okay, I will give you an example of what's really bugging me. Okay. Okay, remember back in season two when Ana Lucia takes Sawyer's gun and he doesn't realize it for hours later? Right. How Even does somebody go completely, he, he just completely loses track of a sawed-off shotgun? Yes, yes. I mean, I, we definitely talked about that. There's something about um, these incredibly light guns that all of our characters walk around with that they don't notice that it's been stolen from them. I mean, I don't have a gun. I've never held a gun. I've never fired a gun. But I would imagine... If somebody took a gun off me, I would know. Yeah. I mean, there's some little things that can distract you. You also mentioned the hair on this episode. Oh, and Lo- my and Lost God! And Lost is famous the for the bad hair. The hair was awful. Oh, my. The hair so, was so bad. Okay, okay. But, again, those niggling things aside, I guess we can sort of focus on some of the reveals that we did get. I mean, one of the things this episode did, well, it filled in the blanks. I think a lot of things that we could have predicted, but it gave us definitive answers. We saw how Alex was taken. It did essentially go down how it was told. We saw... The exile of Widmore, how and why he was sent off the island. We see, you know, Ben actually addresses in the elephant in the room uh, conversation that he did stop uh, Locke from killing himself before killing him because he needed a piece of information first. And, of course, we saw what went down on the dock when uh, we saw Ben talking to Jack on the phone saying, you know, something went wrong. And we figured, oh, no, he killed Desmond and Penny. Uh But he did neither. And, in fact, you know, I think the overall arc and the reveal or the revelation for Ben's character we're supposed to get is that... He's sort of got a squishy center. He sort of has a soft side, soft spot for young kids. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing Charlie makes him hesitate so Desmond can whoop his butt. And he saves Alex from um, Danielle and he doesn't kill either of them. That uh-huh. somehow, you know, these kids, uh, their sudden appearance makes him second guess whatever his murderous plans might be. Well, here's the, the thing that bugged me about the scene on the dock. Didn't when you far- first see Ben beat up, you know, he's like scratched up. You can tell he's been in a fight. But you see what Desmond does to him. Mm-hmm. Did his injuries look consistent? No, I mean, it didn't look like he did get punched in the nose, and he wasn't very wet either. But I mean, yeah. I think this kind of goes down to the same continuity that moves a bullet hole on a young child. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to really focus on that part. But you had mentioned that uh, the hesitation that Ben felt upon seeing a child reminded you of another character. A Sawyer, yeah. When we first see Sawyer uh, in season one, he's about to pull a con on a couple, and then he backs out when he finds out that they have a child. Right. So I mean, I think, you know, kids being important or, or having a, uh, having some kind of significance in the show, we've seen hints of that throughout. We're certainly not addressing them as clearly as we could. Like, where are the kids in Dharmaville? Now we see young Alex, but there haven't been a lot of other kids running around so far. So the children on Lost and what they're all about, I think this was sort of an episode to bring some focus to that. Um, before we get to the smoke monster, let's uh, tackle a few more things about Ben. Let's let's look at his lies or possible lies from this episode, because I saw there were a couple big ones. One, did Ben know that Locke would come back like he told Locke, or was he just as shocked and surprised like he told Sun, and it scares the living daylights out of him? He sounded the most truthful with Sun, which is to say, I think he really is freaked out. I mean, I think he lied to John because he can't let John see him rattled. Mm-hmm. He, he loses mm-hmm. the upper hand if he lets, see, if he lets Locke see him rattled. 
Okay, so that's I would agree with the, with that. I think that it's more likely that Ben is surprised to see Locke, and I think that was told very well in Michael Emerson's face the first time we saw him wake up a couple of episodes uh-huh. ago. Um, also, though, do you think Ben was surprised when he saw the photo with Jack Kate Hurley and them in 1977? He goes, "You're you're telling me your friends were in the Dharma Initiative?" Was that no. a shock to him? No. See, I I I am sure that he is unaware of the circumstances that brought him to the temple, but I think he has some kind of memory or some kind of idea of what has been going on the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. I, I think he knows that there's something going on with these people and that they've been around a lot longer than they think they have. So he's playing to be shocked for son's benefit, but he's always known that his that they, they were in the Dharma Initiative back in the 70s. Yeah, I And think I think so. that kind of goes back to the overall question is, does Ben remember Saeed shooting him? Does Ben remember what happened? to him we see in this episode there's a conversation where he goes what happened you know so he clearly doesn't remember the circumstances of uh his injury and possibly his revival but he want he remembers his dad well enough to know he doesn't want to go back so he hasn't forgotten his childhood is, no. is, is an explanation no i don't think he has amnesia i think he's got some kind of idea of something mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. i well, don't know what yet but he hasn't forgotten everything yeah and again if we like the idea that he still knows that said was involved in his uh, in his injury as a child that I like the idea that Ben knew that the people in the picture were there in the 1970s because again that makes takes us all the way back to the list of season two right. and how some of them were on that list or most of them were on that list so I kind of like that and there's something about photographs in this uh, this episode because you have both that photograph which has come up before mm-hmm. the 1977 photo and also the one that he gets of him and his daughter and I really want to know yeah. what that's about is it just a sentimental retrieval for him or is it something more I'm part of me thinks there's something written on the back i don't know i hadn't even really thought of that part of me thinks that he's going to use it as some kind of important clue because again we go back to the fact that he says that the death of alex broke the rules and for whatever reason having a photo of him with alex is going to do something for him i'm not sure what but i really think there's something more to that photo so let's get to the smoke monster i Mm -hmm. think basically the entree in this episode it judges people i guess that's its role that's its purpose that's what it does Uh, i guess that's what the smoke monster's been doing every time we've seen him in the entire series yeah i think so it's fair to say that yeah i mean i think that's sort of the judgment that we had made after its uh, second encounter with mr echo Uh the first time i guess he's with charlie right and it sort of looks at them but goes away Mm -hmm. and then it gets him later and whacks him against a tree and kills him. So, But we also see that sort of showing you a slideshow of your past transgressions and or um, good acts. So Uh it's judging people. So I guess it judged the pilot. I guess it judged who else? Who else is the smoke monster? Well, it's gone after Locke, most famously. Right. He has a face-to-face encounter with it does not do anything to him and he says that it's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen uh-huh. but then later it grabs him tries to pull him down into his and uh, Jack saves judging him, yeah. chamber I guess and Jack saves his life or thinks he saves his life even though Locke wanted to go so uh-huh. I mean it does raise a lot of good questions or conversations about those past encounters what would have happened to Locke had he been brought into the chamber at that point and really is there going to be that reckoning eventually for Locke as there was a second time for Mr. Echo so I thought that was uh, a good reveal a good uh, conversation starter we have a good call in the forward cabin about the mr echo versus ben question but i guess what this makes me ask is after what we've seen it lets him live does that mean ben's a good person i don't know no i and i don't understand why he let ben off the hook i don't know why it let ben off the hook i mean i think the first comment i got uh, in facebook when i tweeted about this episode was that what 
Ben is this awful, awful person who's hurt and killed so many people, but he goes to get judged for his daughter and he lets live. What about everything else he's done? It's like he was brought to trial for one charge, but he's got a whole litany, a whole you know rap sheet that he should be uh, accounting for. And well, I think that's to be a fair, fair Kate, a whole, Kate had a whole rap sheet and they let her off for the murder. So who, who knows? I suppose. But the, you would think that the smoke monster has a slightly more uh, higher level understanding of justice and worthiness. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I think that you know it's, it's a fair question that, okay, so I guess... It let Ben live because Ben, although he was, well, here's the question. Ben was responsible for his daughter's death. He went to atone for it. Smoke Monster says, okay, you are acquitted. What does that mean? Does that? that... Well, that says to me that Alex was supposed to die when okay. she was an okay. infant, but it, it took 16 years for her to die. Right. Uh, Connie in Alaska on our blog said that, and, and I said that when we first wrote up this episode, which is that, okay, because... Uh, Widmore specifically challenges Ben on the dock at the submarine before he gets exiled and he says if the island wants Alex dead Alex is going to end up dead eventually and I guess eventually can be 16 years so again if Alex's fate uh, was supposed to be death then what Ben did was prolong the inevitable but eventually fulfilled um, Alex's path there so in that way maybe there was no crime committed because Alex was supposed to go but what was Ben muttering about breaking the rules what rules did it break? Yes, yes, good point. Yeah, so if it was supposed to happen, then what... And again, why is he saying that Whitmore was the one that breaks the rules? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you can kind of go in circles with this. Obviously, we are. But I, I just thought that was that was kind of fascinating, the thought specifically that Alex was destined to die. Because you'll remember... Um, both in the case of young Ben when he's first brought to the temple uh-huh. to be revived and in the case now of young Alex being allowed to live even though Widmore says to kill it or kill her. Uh, in both cases, Alpert kind of steps in and says, well, the island says this is this should be so. Or um, Jacob said this is okay. I think in both cases we're given the clear impression that they're improvising, that really it was not the will of the island, but they're kind of kind of justifying what they've done. Uh-huh. So if now we're saying that the long-standing and eventually fulfilled fate of Alex was to die, are they also saying that uh, ever since the day young Ben was brought to the temple and brought back to life, that he is ultimately supposed to die, that everything happening right now is prolonging the inevitable? Huh. Well, if if there were no Ben, there would be no Alex. That's true. But I guess if the existence of Ben and him taking Alex was against the rules, then both of them should be wiped out, you know, to to fulfill the original yeah. plan. I, I don't know. I mean, and the thing about this whole thing about, uh, you know, if Alex's fate was to die, it was just prolonged by 16 years. Then how long can you stretch that out? Because then all of us are fated to die eventually. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know how how far you can stretch. That's that. kind of heavy that when you think about thought. it. Um, the other thing about the smoke monster that we learned, I believe, is that it can conjure physical people because, well, Alex is dead and has been dead for a while, but she shows up in the chamber down there and punches uh, Ben around. Uh-huh. So I guess that explains quite a bit that we. Yeah, explains there. explains a heck of a lot. It explains Kate's horse. It explains hmm. Dave. It probably that's, explains that's Christian Shepherd. Well, I think Christian Shepherd is a reasonable. Uh, th- you know, again, since the smoke monsters appeared, everybody has said the smoke monster is forming these physical shapes, and that can explain the somehow impossible uh, fact of all of these things appearing on the island. I hadn't thought about Kate's horse. I didn't put Dave in that category, but that could possibly be it because, again, it draws your memories out, I guess, to see what's key to your life. Um, Christian Shepherd 
possibly as well, although now we know that Christian Shepherd may have a more deeper tie to the island than we thought. Well, yeah. Makes me wonder, though, like when um, Locke's dad shows up and he talks about if there's a magic box on the island and it brings you everything you want and brings him his dad, is that what that was? Was that the smoke monster but making Sawyer him appear? But Sawyer kills him. It doesn't seem like it could be some kind of... It, it doesn't seem like it, it could be like a smoke right, monster right. because Sawyer actually physically kills him. Although maybe the smoke monster wanted him to think he was dead. I mean, one of the uh, slippery slopes you're going to get into with the smoke monster can create people is that anything can be explained. And I think we also th- was worried about this being the case when time travel showed up. Uh-huh. So I guess we're along for the ride. Or I guess we're going to see what it is that the smoke monster does and has done. But the, its ability, as demonstrated in this episode, you know, kind of makes it uh, wide open for other possibilities on the show. I did enjoy a few things in this episode, and one of them was how Ben gets up, gets up to Caesar, and he's like, "That lock guy, I don't trust that lock guy," and then he shoots him later on. I thought that was brilliant. I mean, it 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 also goes into the bin of maybe being too much lying or too much back and forth for Ben to the point where it's disorienting in uh-huh. this episode. I can see that being a criticism, but when he was seeding the the seeds of doubt in Caesar's head about who Locke is and what he's doing there, you are like, you're mad at him, but you love him. I mean, he's uh-huh. so good at being evil just like that, right down to the final moment where, you know, Caesar says to Ben, wait, you're going with him? And Ben goes, well, I didn't really have a choice, you know, and even Locke is looking shocked, like, <laughs> oh no, he sold me out. And so right that whole setup there to the point where he blows a hole in him with the shotgun. I agree that was definitely a high point of the episode. It was uh, it was definitely classic Ben. Yeah, it was. Um, I also really enjoyed, um, well, it seems like Locke is back. Locke, uh, like first season I know. The Locke, you know? Locke, would, do you want to hear a secret? You know, yeah. very at peace and fully knowing what his fate is. Uh-huh. I, I think that's true. I think, you know, I can see, hey, yay, this is first season Locke. And I, they went out of their way for Locke to tell son, I can't explain this, but trust me, I'm the same man I always was. I mean, that seemed like a very specific statement. Uh-huh. But I can't help but think maybe it's not Locke. I mean, is Locke back? Is this Locke? Locke was dead. Ben says he's never seen anyone come back from the dead. And we see that the smoke monster can make Alex appear and throw Ben around. So I don't know. Um, uh, Someone in one of our calls, and I noticed as well, it's almost like that conjuring trick. When we see that scene of the smoke monster, Ben falls down a hole. Locke says, hey, I'm going to go get something to help you out. He disappears just when the smoke monster shows up. And then when the smoke monster leaves, Locke comes back and says, oh, here, I got a rope. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a little, the the timing is so specific. Um, I mean, it could just be lazy writing or just compact timing, but I think they may be trying to tell us something. Well, we were having that whole discussion about how um, in the first few seasons, Locke would just appear out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. and, And it seemed like there were two of them. Or yeah, or th- I I agree. We had re- previously discussed Locke's penchant for just stumbling out of the forest at exactly the right time, uh-huh. and we had begun to think that maybe that was because good old Locke was a time traveler and just inserting himself wherever he needed to be at any given time. Such as when he comes out at the end of season three yeah. and says, J- "Jack, you're not supposed to do this." Uh-huh. Um, but maybe this is it too. If Locke can be in the right place at the right time, it could be because he's a time traveler, or it could be because he's the smoke monster. I mean, uh-huh. they could go anywhere with the stuff now. Unfortunately. Yeah, they could. They could. Um, I 
thought Locke looked really handsome in this episode. He's not a bad-looking fella. I thought young Whitmore was kind of cute, too. Oh, my. Well, I mean, <laughs> the, the younger versions of these characters, you know, some work well with the hair. Some don't work so well with the hair. Well, let's talk about Whitmore. Let's talk about Whitmore. Okay. So we hear that Whitmore was exiled for jumping back and forth on and off the island and fathering a daughter off the island. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a really good reason to get rid of somebody. Well, I just thought that was kind of strange. I mean, when you talk about somebody who has a second life outside of where they're supposed to be and has a child, we definitely see some strong parallels uh, there. To... Christian Shepard, exactly. who has two kids with two different women. Right, one in Australia and one in Los Angeles. I thought that was an interesting um, mention. And also, if that was something that was bad that you shouldn't do on the island and Ben was like, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, you, you know, you broke the rules. Well, Ben seemed to fully sanction uh, good old Tom's off-island yeah, life. Yeah, I forgot about Tom. Yeah, with his uh, handsome boyfriend in New York. <laughs> so if that second life was allowed to happen, I mean, again, uh, clearly these are transgressions, but it looks like under Ben's leadership, the rules got a little lax. And two of the lines that really stood out for me in this episode was when Locke criticizes him for moving everybody into the houses. Like, isn't that, you know, that's that doesn't seem like something the island would want instead of living in the jungle and being at, you know, one with well, nature. Locke has brought that up with Ben in the past. Right, right. You know, and you have electricity, you have chickens in your refrigerator. That's right, that's yeah. right. And, you know, and, and the other line this this episode was, I never saw you leading your people from behind a desk. It seems pretty corporate. Uh-huh. So, again, we've discussed very recently there's strong signs that Ben's period of leadership was not in tune with what the island wanted. Uh-huh. And this could, again, all go back to Ben was never supposed to be that guy in the first place, ever since he was saved in right. the temple or ever, you know, as or when Richard tells Locke, we need a new leader. We don't think, you know, Ben's going in the right direction. He's distracting himself. I think that's exactly what they're showing us. So I'm guessing Whitmore's off-island child is Penny. Right. I think we're definitely supposed to get that impression. I guess the question is who the outsider is that he had this daughter with. I'm, I don't think we've met who Mrs. Widmore is yet. Well, no, I don't I don't think so either. I mean, we, we know that the, there's an Ellie factor here, and we know that, or we're led to believe that Ellie is Daniel Faraday's mom, but right. Ellie was an insider. So I don't think they can say, um, you had a daughter with the woman who was here leading, the other, leading us with you, so it has to be somebody else. Well, I mean, if we're going that way, Ellie could have left the island voluntarily before Penny. So Ellie could have betrayed the island before this point. Ellie could have become an outsider by leaving and get exiled herself. And Widmore doesn't want to give up his relationship with her. So he goes off the island and they father a child and that's Penny. So I guess that might be one way that could work. But we don't know how Daniel fits into this. True. And then that would make Penny and uh, Daniel siblings, I guess. Or half siblings. Or half siblings. There could be another dude. Oh, Lordy. This could be a heck of a family tree to plot out. I think that's enough for those two. Well... Uh, anything else in this episode uh, stand out for you, even though it wasn't your favorite? They shot Caesar. Yes. I actually, Well, that was certainly a, a yell out loud moment. I agree. I did not see that coming in a, a million miles away. I mean, what what was that? They they bring him on and they shoot him. Is he, is he gone? I I hope not. I mean, they wouldn't. He seemed to have stepped up very importantly into a role of the you know, the three sixteen survivors. I, although a shot from a gun like that usually isn't something one easily recovers from. So no, no, they can't. He can't still be alive. I mean, if he's still alive, I'm going to feel really cheated. That's true. We've been seeing quite a lot of that lately. So in in one respect, that might just be a little bit too much. But I'm really if if he's gone, I'm disappointed to see him go at the exact same time we see a couple of you know kind of big luggy dudes suddenly start talking and who are they of, where well, do they come from they're part of ilana's team they've been activated they're they've got 
got their plan. They're going to start doing it with their big secret uh, case. And uh, those are his pe- her people. But I, I agree that it was kind of frustrating for them to now surface as new faces um, when we're still not done with some of our other new faces, including Caesar, who I really liked a lot. I mean, like, no introduction, no hi, how you doing, just these two guys, and they're all of a sudden... Well, oh, they've I tried it a couple of different ways to give us new people, although I will begin to say, well, first we said, oh, no, there's not. There's going to be 316 survivors. Oh, no, now there's going to be these people in Othersville that we're going to meet and get to know, although uh-huh. I kind of like those characters. So now we've got even more faces here, part of Ilana's team, and clearly Ilana doesn't know who's on her team. I think the question that she asks, what lies in the shadow of the statue... Is, is some kind of a code. Yeah, yeah. what what did one snowman say to the other snowman? It's, uh-huh. a, it's a way to tell, are you with us or not? So she doesn't even know who's with her. So, uh, But again, you know, new characters, there's a, there's a plan put in motion. Uh, obviously, John Locke's mission, after, now that Ben has been judged, is to get everyone back together again, get uh, Sun back together with Jin. So that seems to be something that could be straightforward. The only thing that could be in their way is, well, this other party uh-huh. moving in. So who do you think Ilana, them, work for? Dharma. You think they work for Dharma? The the reformed and are about to come back on the island Dharma. The Dharma initiative that was purged is coming back in a big way. Yep. Why do you think them? I don't know. She doesn't feel like Widmore. She doesn't feel like Ben. And you know that behind the scenes, Dharma is up to something because they just have to be. And... I don't know. That's my theory, and All I'm right. sticking to it. Well, I mean, I think uh, Widmore was a fair guess, but uh, Widmore in this episode tells Ben, you can't get back to the island. It's not possible, and right. it seems strange for him to say that if at that exact same moment he has a team of people on the same plane that Ben is setting up to get back to the island. Right, so, exactly. Well, I guess that'd be cool. If you're right, if it's sort of Comic-Con coming to life and it's the newly reconstituted Dharma initiative, then what I want to see next episode is for them to pull a cover off of that giant case and for it to have a Dharma Initiative logo on it. Yeah, that would be great. (laughs) Well, I guess that's uh, more than our two cents on this episode. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll hear from you all, everybody. Hey guys, this is Alex from Boston. Um, As you know, a lot of my messages into this and other podcasts have been a little on the grumpy and ranty side. So you may be wondering, what could I possibly find to complain about with Dead is Dead? Well, I've got something, and it's a major one. And simply put, it's why can't all episodes be like this one? Um, Why can't we get both mythology and character? Um, Some of my emails and voicemails to you guys, we've kind of debated um, mythology versus character. Some people like the mythos stuff. Some people like character. um, And you can't have both necessarily at the same time. This episode proves that wrong. I mean, this was a character episode concerning Ben, and it was also a wonderful mythology uh, episode with a lot of great reveals. Um, So that's my complaint. Why do we need um, maudlin sort of chick flick stuff, soap operas, um, action movie riffs? Why can't we just have the originality uh, that made Lost wonderful? And here it is. Um, So if they were to accede to my request, it would mean writing Kate off the show, but uh, that's probably not going to happen. But more episodes like this will keep me quite happy. And that's a good thing. Bye. 
We start things off there with a call from Alex saying his only complaint is more episodes like this one. So I guess he liked it. Yeah, but he couldn't resist a little dig at Kate at the end. Yeah, well, who can resist that? <laughs> so now we have calls from Mario, Brian, and Knives Monroe. Ken and Ryan, it's Mario calling from Houston, Texas. And for me, this episode is the season all-time winner so far. I really enjoyed it. My wife and I were geeking out the whole episode with the mythos and everything. Uh, I know that uh, you, didn't, you guys didn't seem to think that it was high up there, but I'm sure it, being all fans, you enjoyed it as much as I did. So about the episode, well, starting off right from the beginning, this swashbuckling Winmore coming, galloping into the camp on his trusty steed, it just that character just didn't seem right to me. Um, having said what I said, it just seemed like that it just was not congruent with the rest of the way we know that uh, Winmore's uh, character is and the way he behaves. But nevertheless, I think it did confirm that what we've known and we've been told that he was, in fact, a leader of the others, and it just wasn't just someone else lying to Locke. Hey, what's up, Transmission? This is Brian from Seattle. Just got done watching the latest episode, and i got to say it was awesome. Completely great episode. And i got to say my favorite part of this episode is watching Ben manipulate Caesar. Just watching him kind of from the beginning of the episode kind of set up the conflict with John Locke just so Ben could then later manipulate him and shoot Caesar in the chest just to make it seem like he, he was on John Locke's side the entire time. Like, usually when we see these uh, Ben manipulations, they take place over entire seasons or over five or six episodes. But now we're actually seeing just within the course of, like, 15 minutes, just Ben setting up Caesar and then just nailing him at the end just so he can play Locke. Just watching him just, like, toy with Caesar, throw him away. Just completely insane. It's just uh, the, the actor who plays Ben is just uh, incredible. Anyway, uh, uh, aloha, guys. Later, late. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Nice Monroe from Texas. Uh, first thing I want to talk about was was time travel really fast, even though we, we didn't see any of the the Dharma guys in this episode. And uh, I think the way time travel is in Lost, it's the same way it is in Terminator, like the movie. Uh, if you look at Terminator 2, you see young John Connor, and you see the Terminators that went back in time to kill him and to save him. And I think that always happened, except we hadn't seen it happen. And young John Connor, it hadn't happened to him yet. And as an audience, we were seeing it for the first time along with him. But I think the, the old John Connor, the guy that was saving everybody forward in time, um, it, that, that had already happened to him. You know what I mean? I think, I think that's kind of how Lost is. I just, just wanted to say that really fast. And that I loved Dead is Dead. This episode was great. I love the pace. Uh, I love how the second half of this season is going. This season has such great potential to be better than season one, and I think season one really set the bar, and uh, I love where everything is going. And that's pretty much all I really, really wanted to say on the matter. Uh, I'll probably talk more on the on the blog like I always do, but I uh, just want to say that thank you guys. You guys are the best. This is a great episode. And what is better than Charles Woodmore on a horse? See you guys later. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. Uh, three big fans of this episode, Jen, that you didn't like so much. Well, you know, now that I'm hearing all these positive comments, I don't think I'm disliking no, it as no, much as I did. No, no, stick to your guns. <laughs> you, someone's got to be the contrarian. I'm all for that. Well, um, both Mario and Knives, I noticed, made a specific comment about Widmore riding in on his horse. Yeah, where did the horse come from? I thought it was a little odd. I agree it was kind of strange, but I loved it, and I liked the way that Mario said that it was the swashbuckling Widmore, because when you think about it, people have always said that they thought Richard Alpert was like a pirate. 
you know, uh-huh. maybe he was a black rockist or something. Yeah, yeah. So if you've got, if that's the case, then why not have, you know, Widmore being one of them too? But the interesting thing about that, of course, is that Widmore ages and Alpert right. doesn't. So right. something's going on there. Knives comparing the time travel on laws to Terminator 2. So I guess yeah. whatever pop culture model makes sense to you. Well, actually, that, that makes a lot more sense. The, the Terminator 2 reference makes a lot more sense than the Bill and Ted model. Well, the Bill and Ted model is we can change it and mess with things. Right. So we're seeing the we're seeing the line being drawn in the sand, but uh-huh. that's very helpful. Um, Brian also, like us, loved the scene where Ben messed with Caesar before blowing him away. Yeah, that was a really well-acted scene. I really liked that a lot. All right. Well, we've got three more calls from Lauren, Steve, and Jay. Oh, hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Lauren from Parma. Hey, long-time listener, first-time caller, so if I'm nervous, forgive me. Um, my husband has come up with this uh, amazing theory. It's an overarching theory of the island. Um I think it's so good it might need a spoiler alert, but that's just me. <laughs> anyway, uh, with all of the recent uh, viewings of the Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics, um, he believes that the island uh, might be Atlantis, the lost uh, island of Atlantis. Um, so I did some digging, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but uh, some of the things that I found is that Plato is, in one of his unfinished works, He described Atlantis as an island comprising mostly of mountains in the northern portion along the shore and encompassing a great plain of oblong shape in the south. And at the center of the island is a temple of Poseidon. Um, It is also recorded that the gods judged the island and punished the people living there. Hmm, sounds familiar, kind of like smoky maybe. So anyway, those are our thoughts, and mainly it's my husband. And uh, uh, just really want to appreciate, uh, say uh, thank you, and we appreciate the, the podcast. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen, this is Steve Bayuk calling from Anaheim, California. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, just had a theory about the Swan Station. I was just thinking about it. And I was just thinking how when the countdown reached zero, we would see those hieroglyphics pop up. And we know that the the others, you know, they obviously have their hieroglyphics on the temple and things like that. And somehow they're tied into that. Maybe the others somehow helped the Dharma Initiative uh, in that Swan Station after the incident occurred. Because we know after the incident occurred... They had to start, you know, the countdown timer and had to enter the numbers in every 108 minutes uh, or else it would be disastrous. But, um, but the fact that when it reaches zero, we see hieroglyphics, I'm just thinking that now somehow the, the others are somehow tied into solving that problem. So I'm just wondering if maybe whatever this incident is has the Dharma Initiative and the others working together or something like that. I don't know. I, it's my crazy theory. Just thought I'd throw it out there. So, great show. Enjoyed a lot. Uh, mahalo. Bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Jay from D.C. calling. I really liked last night's episode, though my wife didn't as much. I think she said that she thought it was the worst episode of the season, even though the season's doing extremely well. I think what I liked about it is, even though they were trying to do some character evolution and development of Ben, showing how much he loves kids and He's not really that bad a guy, and he's kind of being forced to do some things. Uh, that didn't really feel all that true and seemed a little bit contrived. What I liked is that they really showed a lot about the mythology, about what Smokey or the Smoke Monster was doing, um, described Ben's views on it that, well, we don't even have a name for it, but you guys call it the monster, and then showed so much under the temple and where it comes out of and some of the higher 
hieroglyphics that describe it. Um, I think that was really intriguing, really brought up a lot of the the Egyptian connections and, and a bunch of the other things that we postulated about um, in the community and on your show. Anyway, have a great one. I love the podcast. Bye. Thanks for those calls. Three of them focused on the Egyptian and mythology elements of this show. Uh, Lauren and her husband say the island is Atlantis. This sounds plausible, but... I don't know. If it goes in that direction, I'm not sure what I'm going to be able to make of that. Well, you know, the thing is, Atlantis has been one of the early theories about this show since it premiered. Since season one, Atlantis has been on the short list. And I think with the resurgence of the Egyptian stuff that, hey, that's perfectly reasonable to explain the location of the island or the history of the island and maybe even what's going on with the gods and the judgment and the monster. But it doesn't explain how the show is going to end and what's going to happen to our characters as they interact with it. But certainly it's a good thought. In fact, we had an anonymous caller who pointed out that Richard Alpert's initial are R-A and Ra is the sun god in Egypt. So read up on that. Spend some time on Wikipedia. It's definitely some good stuff. We've got Steve saying that the hieroglyphics in the swan mean that the others helped the Dharma Initiative after the incident. Yeah, yeah, I can, yeah. I mean, why else would the hieroglyphics have been in the swan? Well, I mean, maybe if the the Dharma Initiative was on the island and they knew about the Egyptian uh, artifacts, maybe that could be it. But that's a perfectly reasonable theory. Yeah, and I guess if the Cylons and the humans can work together, then why couldn't the DI (laughs) No, no mixing shows, um, but that's true. But who knows who's, you know, uh, uh, extreme circumstances build interesting alliances. And in fact, Sawyer tells Richard Alpert or tells the uh, tells the others that this boy has been shot. He's both of our problems. And they do work together. That's true. Why not? And finally, Jay saying that, uh, well, he agreed that there was some contrivance with Ben's character. He kind of agrees with you there. But he also agrees that the episode kind of gave us a lot of that background and focused on the Egyptian and the hieroglyphics here, which we've been talking about about for forever it seems on this show robin from the tvcritic.org also called in and he mentioned um, a drawing of the smoke monster that young Locke had right he says it looks like the exact same kind of drawing that we see in the hieroglyphic inside of the temple this week right. so certainly a good observation there as well now we have calls from amber gaia and anonymous hi ryan and jen this is amber from utah um new listener and first time caller i was just finished watching um, dead is dead, and it, I loved it. I think it's one of the best episodes ever, not even of just season five, just ever. And I've never felt anything but hate for Ben Linus, but I almost cried watching this when he was being judged. It was just amazing, and I I felt for him so much. I didn't even think that was possible, but I just want to hear your thoughts on it and keep up the good work. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Jen. This is Gaia calling from New York City. Uh, I have been listening to your podcast for a long time. I actually started listening in season two when I was studying abroad in Budapest, and um, I couldn't watch Lost, actually. I could only buy it on iTunes, but I couldn't watch it for free because of the different uh, intellectual copyright rules. So I started listening to your podcast because you guys always gave such a great recap Recap. So I felt like I could listen to the recap and then listen to the commentary and totally get my lost fix, even without actually watching the episode. Uh, so thanks a lot for that. And I just watched Dead is Dead. I think it is one of the best episodes of the season. I think they've transformed the character of Ben. It was so compelling, it was so emotional, him with Alex, um, but at the same time, a lot of really great history and, like, the really old island mythology. 
So anyway, stay lost. Thanks for doing what you're doing, and I'll tune in next week. Bye. Oh, man. I, it's so satisfying to say this. I'm sure plenty of people disagree me. Yeah, disagree with me here. Um, just like to say, 95 episodes, five years, Smoke Monster is finally solved. Check that off the list. That's over. Maybe it'll show up again, but I am thoroughly convinced now anything else we could possibly need to know about the Smoke Monster can be inferred. I'd also like to say to Jen, I told you so. <laughs> kind of. Or to, from all the Ben fans, pretty much. Ben is clearly shown in this episode to not be a conniving evil jerk. And really, Ben is now, this is another big, bold statement. He's, for the most part, done being evil, as in he is going to now follow Locke, realize the error of his ways, and serve as sort of a uh, mentor to him as Richard Alpert was to him when he was younger. So, I mean, I think this episode was fantastic, and um, that's enough. That's all. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. Well, three callers saying that this episode was about the redemption of Ben. He's not the evil, terrible monster that you make him out to be, Jim. Well, I mean, he's been absolved of Alex's death, but I don't think he's been completely absolved of everything else that he's done. All right. I mean, I think this was a strong episode in the respect of that specific incident in his life. But, you know, has he really answered for the the pile of bodies in the pit on the island? Has he been has he been tried for any of his other crimes? But I agree. You know, hey, it was uh, it was a very strong scene. It got a little dusty in the living room I think when well, we saw that scene my favorite scene is when he sees Alex just the relief on his face and, and you know just he has being the opportunity close to, to her apologize. again that was very that was uh, incredibly emotional yeah except then of course she kicks his butt but definitely <laughs> a good uh, scene Gaia from New York pointing out why our recaps are possibly helpful to some people glad <laughs> we could be of yeah, service we've cut them down to eight minutes but some people still think that's too much but it's still helpful for some folks and finally anonymous boy so breathless about how much you like the episode you forgot to tell us who he was but uh, he says that that was the smoke monster we are done with the smoke monster we don't need to see it ever, anymore again what do you think well maybe we don't need to see him again but i think we will yeah and i also think people want to see more oh yeah smoke absolutely monster. three calls now from scott jonathan and john hey brian and jen this is scott from nashville uh, i wanted to comment about what i thought was one of the best lost scenes ever when uh, desmond was worked Desmond worked Ben over on the docks of the harbor and then threw him in the water with the, the blood oozing out of his face. I thought that was awesome, especially for us as viewers, seeing Ben get his comeuppance from Desmond, Desmond saving Penny's life. That was great. But also, uh, it was interesting on that scene when Charlie walked out of the boat, it was eerily reminiscent of when Ben was charging into Danielle's tent and he heard Alex. It always seems like Ben will pause if he's on a, a murder mission when he finds out that there's a child involved. Uh, and maybe that has something to do with his own mommy issues. Since his mother died in childbirth, he never had a mother. He knows what it's like growing up without one. So it seems like that issue always gives him pause when he's out to murder somebody. Just an observation. Thanks, Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Jonathan from Washington. I just wanted to say that I thought that this was the second best episode this season. 
Michael Emerson's acting really helped pull it off and made me start to think that Ben actually has a soul of sorts. I also think that it's safe to say that people all over the country were cheering as Desmond proceeded to beat the tar out of Ben. Very good use of blood capsules. I'm really wondering what all of those hieroglyphs underneath the temple said. I know that they showed Anubis making a summoning gesture to the smoke monster, but that's as far as I know. I thought it was hilarious for Ben to say that he couldn't control what was coming out of the jungle, and then Locke comes tumbling out. But I can't help but feel nervous about how Ben must follow Locke, considering that Locke's not as experienced with the island as Ben is, and Locke might do something stupid. Anyway, that's my two cents on Dead is Dead. Uh... Great podcast. I can't wait for the next one. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Joe. What's up? It's John from North Carolina. Um, I just I just got done watching season five, episode twelve. I think it was called. Um, hold on, let me check. Oh yeah, here it is. Holy freaking crap! That was amazing. I think that was one of the best mythology episodes we've seen so far. Wasn't the best of the season. But it was still pretty good. Um, what Ben, when he went to shoot Penny, that was my favorite, seeing that and the ending with Smokey. Something about Locke, though. I don't think Locke is Locke right now. I think Locke, since he's come back to life, is more, not so much Locke, but more Christian Shepherdy, if you know what I'm saying. Like, he seems to be the island talking to Ben, just like Alex was, because he, when he's like, I can't control what's coming out of the jungle, and then Locke comes out. And then he knows where the temple is all of a sudden. Like, I'm pretty sure Locke has never seen the temple before. He's getting his information from somewhere, and we may see that in a flashback or something. But another thing, when Ben goes down to see Smokey, and John disappears, that's when Smokey comes up. And as soon as Smokey leaves, guess who pops out? John Locke. So, I mean, there's something going on with him. But we'll see in future episodes, I'm sure. thought the episode was awesome. Great Ben episode. His episodes were always great. And can't wait to hear what y'all think about it. And I will talk to y'all later. Mahalo for those calls. All three of whom who thought uh, seeing Ben get beat up on the dock was a, one of the greatest moments of this episode. Yeah, it was It was a good moment. But what I was thinking about was how many beatings has Ben taken over the course of the series? I mean, the, the Jack at the end of season three, Saeed, he's been beaten up so many yeah, times. Yeah, he's definitely been the, re- the the receiver of a lot of physical violence on the show. Scott's saying that it could be uh, mommy issues here. I like that because, you know, there's been a lot of daddy issues. But right down to Kate's episode last week, I think mothers are still going to be prominent. Well, here. parents in general, I think. Right, right, sure. <laughs> Family issues, and to, to be perfectly frank. Uh, Jonathan saying that uh, he wonders what's going to happen now that Ben has to follow Locke. Is that what's going to happen? No. Oh, ben is never going to take orders from Locke. <laughs> I think they're still, I mean, even after Alex threatened him and says, you better or I'm going to destroy you, I don't think Ben can necessarily be that subservient that quickly. And finally, John, our good friend, saying uh, he doesn't know, like Ben doesn't know, how Locke can know everything about the island so suddenly. How does he know where the temple is? He's the smoke monster. That's true. And if he's more like uh, Christian Shepherd, then that could also be he's the smoke monster as the explanation. <laughs> I don't think we've seen Locke go to the temple. I mean, he went to go find the orchid when he was time jumping. But yeah, I, don't I can't. Think... I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I don't think we've ever specifically seen Locke going to the temple. Right. We now have calls from Pete, Joe and Jeremy. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Pete from Rockford, Illinois. I'm a first time caller and I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about uh, what happened happened, or whatever happened happened, um, talking about uh, Kate singing Catch a Falling Star. Um, Kate and Claire were pretty close uh, back in the island in the old days. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think 
heard her singing it to Aaron, heard Claire singing it to Aaron, or that Claire may have mentioned it. Uh, that's just my thoughts on that. And then in Dead is Dead, um, I know there have been a lot of theories about just what is up with uh, Dharmaville, but I think when uh, Ben went into his house and we saw the risk board on the table, uh, if you remember, uh, risk is what uh, what was being played by uh, Hurley and Sawyer just before all hell broke loose um, with the uh, with the mercenaries from the boat. So, anyhow, uh, keep up the good work. Love the podcast. Uh, I'm especially grateful that uh, you put the forward cabin stuff at the end of the show, so I can just uh, click off the podcast and move along. Uh, about my merry way because I hate spoilers. Anyhow, thanks much. Bye-bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Joe from California. Just wanted to uh, call for my very first time and uh, remind all the viewers that Lost is a serial. And um, a serial, by definition, is a single story that's broken up into episodes. This is distinctly different from a series, which would contain those same characters, but be episodic. Each story each episode a unique and uh, different story. So I think all of this judging of singular episodes of the serial Lost is like judging a single chapter of a novel. That type of judgment is flawed because it's incomplete. And the one comment that I did want to make, I was wondering if anyone else had noticed that uh, when Desmond appears to be shot by Ben, it doesn't look like the bullet pierces his skin in any way, shape, or form. Um, the grocery bag that he's holding appears to explode in his hands. Uh, the milk comes pouring out. But um, going back and, and looking at the the scene shot by shot again, um, it doesn't appear that, uh, that Desmond's grazed by this bullet. I just thought that this was curious, and I was wondering if this had something to do with the reason that, uh, you know, Michael was unable to um, commit suicide. Um, you know, the bullet wouldn't wouldn't take. Um, just curious and interesting. I uh, wonder if anyone has some more in uh, in order for, for Desmond. Thank you so much once again, and um, I'll speak to you soon. Mahalo. Thank you for such a great podcast, and wow, what a really uh, <laughs> strange and wonderful episode. Yeah, I have so many things to say about it, but I am not going to get into all of it. I'm going to focus on one thing which is the nature of the smoke monster. The smoke monster appears to be fickle, and um, I don't know is altogether a good thing. Um, and this is in regards to Mr. Echo um, and Ben. In Mr. Echo's experience, Mr. Echo was a bad guy when he was young, uh, basically for most of his life, and then when, by the time he got to the island, he became reformed. He basically became a saint and was this immovable saintly object and when the smoke monster encountered him he gave him his the visions probably similar visions to the ones that ben had judged him and then killed him uh even though he was good um at that point ben on the other hand was good when he was young and then uh evil when he got older and those were the visions that were that were given to Ben, and yet the smoke monster chose to spare Ben, the, the quote-unquote evil one at the time. Um, so why would that be? Why would the smoke monster let him live? Is it because the smoke monster wanted 
a, a, was looking for a corrupt soul in order to do its bidding, i.e., do whatever it needed to it needs uh, Ben to do in order to help Locke or whatever. Um, and with Mr. Echo, uh, Mr. Echo was an immovable object, and so therefore. Uh, could not be manipulated and therefore needed to be killed. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Uh, can't wait to hear more. Oh, this is Jeremy from Boulder, Colorado. I always tell you right at the end. Uh, thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for those calls. And Pete, um, bringing up what a lot of people did after our last podcast, which is why were we so surprised that uh, Kate knew to sing Catch a Falling Star? He, she spent a lot of time with Claire. Yeah, so. I don't know why that didn't occur to me. You know, she could have heard Jack singing it. I mean, Christian Shepherd is Jack's dad. That's right. That's so right. So he could have sung it to Aaron. He could have overheard Claire. I don't know why that didn't occur to me. Right. But he also points out a good uh, Easter egg, or actually a good anchor in this episode was the risk board. Yeah. So everybody who I thought like that. that maybe the future is actually somewhere between the purge and the occupation of the others. No, they are way, way in the future uh-huh. after um, the after the the freighter people arrive. Yeah, Joe from California, starting with the request to fans who are a little harsh sometimes on episodes, saying that you need to see it as part of a whole, and we should wait till we see the whole story before we pass. No, I, I know what he means because I hear people talking about the show and complaining about certain things, and I'm thinking, just give it time, just just wait. Well, but on the other hand, we're not going to wait till the end of season six to do a podcast, and we're yeah. served it episode by episode. And you said this week that you thought this was a weak episode. Yeah. So I think that even if you enjoy a novel, you can say that a chapter wasn't the best one. I think uh, there's room on both sides, but certainly if you don't like Lost, you should probably stop watching. Yeah. But his primary point is Desmond didn't look like he was hit. So is he no. hurt? No, well, we haven't seen much of Desmond of this in this season, and I think he's going to be very, very important to the end of the season and to the beginning of next season. So... You know, we we can't have him be hurt. So I think that his theory is very sound. Right. I mean, I guess there might have... Someone on our blog said maybe there was a big uh, metal tin of ham in there that stopped the bullet. (laughs) But interesting thought. Finally, Jeremy saying, hey, this smoke monster, it can't make up its mind. Uh, It seemed that uh, Mr. Echo had finally come and found peace, and he's the one that gets killed. Meanwhile, Ben has done a lot of things. He's only sorry for killing his daughter, and he gets to live. Yeah, I know. The whole Mr. Echo thing is really a very sore spot for me. Yeah, I, I certainly think that Jeremy's making a very fair observation and maybe there's just something we haven't seen yet and I like that he says that maybe the smoke monster is bad maybe the smoke monster is actually looking for bad people to help it reach its goals that's an interesting twist to be sure yeah that is an interesting twist well I think we can fit one more call in this is John Fisher from Philadelphia Aloha Ryan and Jen it's John Fisher from Philadelphia boy it seems you get a lot of calls from Philly folks a belated happy 15th anniversary to you I really really like Dead is Dead but did the writers really screw up their own timeline with this episode? I explained this more in my written comments in the forum, but basically we've been told by Miles in 2004 and Charles in 2007 that he's been looking for the island for 20 years. So we were led to believe that his exile took place in the early 80s. Now we know that Danielle arrived on the island pregnant in 88. It's commonly accepted the purge happened in December of 92 on Ben's birthday. Horace told Locke in 2004 that his body had been, decaying, had been decaying for 12 years, so that really sets the purge at 92. When Ben exiles Charles by the sub, the others have already moved into Dharmaville. So that has to be 93 or 94, and that makes sense since it seems that Alex is about four or five years old when we see her on the swing. The most Charles could have been looking for the island is about 10 to 12 years. We learned in Jughead that Charles started funding Daniel's research in 94. That has to be right after he left the island. Charles meets Desmond when Desmond comes for permission to marry Penny, 
in 96? How did Charles build his whole Widmore industry empire in just two or three years? I'd really like your thoughts on these things. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow, uh, thanks for your call there, John. But I got to say, you might have gone a little more advanced for us. Well, for one yeah. thing, there's a lot of math. There's there. way more math than I can I can handle. Well, but other people have raised the same question, and they've been very clear about this twenty year thing, including in this episode, as far as how long Widmore's been looking. Yeah. So if we're getting these clear mileposts as to when these purge happens and where other things happen, that it couldn't fit chronologically in that space. And in fact, if you come to the blog, uh, John Fisher expanded on his ideas. He had even more questions. For example, if the others didn't have access to the submarine until after the purge, how did Widmore get on and off the island to have this relationship right, right. with an outsider? So uh, definitely some advanced lost conversations to be had. Um, the only answer I can possibly give to why this can happen is, well, I don't know, maybe Charles Widmore turned the frozen donkey wheel, and he gave himself 20 years to look for the <laughs> island. But other than that, I have no idea. We definitely love and appreciate all the calls on the Lost Line, even though we can't include all of them. I, in fact, transcribe each one, so trust me, we appreciate and process yes, all of your thoughts. All but of them. let's get to the email and blog comment. Jonathan in Brooklyn writes, Season 5 has been such a strong season. This episode was in my top 5. This episode especially gave me what I like. One, I find such satisfaction in seeing the pieces come together. So many long-awaited payoffs happened this episode. I was so happy. Two, I love that it stars the acting juggernauts of the show, Michael Emerson and Terry O'Quinn, and they are thrown together with a somewhat common goal. I haven't been this excited for a buddy team since Lock Echo. Hmm. Three, I love the direction both Locke and Ben are going as characters. I've been waiting to see the strong in tune with the island Locke since season one. Well, there you go. I also agree that seeing, you know, basically Emerson and O'Quinn being together is just fantastic. They're great. And I hadn't thought about the buddy movie sort of aspect of it, but I still don't think that Ben is necessarily going to be in line with Locke. No. Dave in Alabama writes, probably one of the best episodes this season. I was really glad to see that Ben did not kill Penny, and the fact that he didn't do it was because of Charlie showing up. It shows that he has been lost just like the other characters, that he has to come to grips with his own past and misdeeds. But wow, to show that Ben at one point was actually a good person, didn't ever think it was possible to see a side of Ben that completely contradicts everything we've known about him so far. Well, so someone else there who thinks that Ben's redeemed entirely in this episode. Not yet. I don't think they're done with him. Um, Some uh, contradictory thoughts here. Jennifer writes on the blog, Honestly, my office gossip is more compelling and thought-provoking than last night's episode. This episode, in my opinion, exemplifies my feelings on season five in its entirety. Lackluster writing and white paper bullet point delivery of important information makes the season ho-hum and obvious rather than mysterious, mythical, and intelligent. Well, see, it seems to me that the people who complain about bullet point answers are the same ones who are saying... We don't get any answers. Right. I mean, and we basically, we theorize our brains out. So it's certainly clear that like this episode, it'll fill in blanks that many of us have filled in already. And I mean, I can see you thought also that this episode was a weak one, but yeah. that season five as a whole. I don't know. No, I think this was a very, this is a very strong season. Dave from Toronto writes, in the season three episode, The Man Behind the Curtain, when Ben takes John to the Dharma mass grave, he says, I did what I had to do. I was one of the people that was smart enough to make sure that I didn't end up in the ditch, which implies that a number of Dharma personnel sided with the others. Yet one of the rules Charles Woodmore is accused of breaking is having a child with an outsider. Does this mean that any Dharma personnel had to go through some sort of cleansing rebirth ritual, a la what happened to Rousseau's team after they entered the temple? 
I think that's uh, certainly a fair point. Uh, certainly, it we didn't mention too much about this, but Ethan, we're seeing, is now also with Ben on the other side of the fence. So something has happened there with his character, and I still like the theory that Amy and uh, she was actually, you know, can- canoodling with the uh, others at that point. That's so like my wanna... favorite theory right now. But, uh, you know, so we if he broke the rules, are you cleansed, or do you go through some kind of process with the smoke monster? Is an encounter with the smoke monster one of the baptisms that you have to become one of the others? I think that's a great observation. Daryl in San Diego writes, I am thinking souls. Young souls, old souls, clean souls, dirty souls. This island definitely has an ability to sort, judge, and maybe even recycle them. Maybe the incident has something to do with these kids, new souls, but I can't put it together quite yet. Perhaps the island is jealous of its own and a rule that was broken damaged its ability to generate new souls spawned on the island. Who was the first rule breaker? Charles Widmore, of course. Why would Widmore think that killing of a child would protect the island twice? Guilt? Did Widmore conceive Penny on island and then submarine her off despite the rules causing the island to clamp down on offspring? Now, no one can have kids. Hmm. What do you think? So that could be it. You know, you mess with kids or you do something with kids and you take a, a, a child born on the island off the island and that's it. You kids are done. You folks are done having kids. I kind of like that. You mean, yeah, he could have had the penny in secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Ilias writes, John seems especially weird, but then again, coming back from the dead probably gives you the right to be this weird. I, on the other hand, for some reason, do not believe that John is actually alive, at least not the way we are. It seems that the island, for some reason, somehow lets people appear alive. The list includes Yemi. Christian, Horace, and possible others. In the past, we, the fans, have thought that these people are connected somehow with Smokey, especially the former two. Well, John knew where Smokey was because he is Smokey because he is dead. He insinuated that he knew more about the island than Ben. The title says it all as well. Dead is dead. Ben was also in disbelief when he talked to Son about John. Although he is not always to be believed, it seemed genuine to me. So good friend Ilias coming back after a long absence and saying, yes, I think the title is telling us something. Dead is dead, that uh, Ben was uh, genuine when he was surprised, and that Locke can only be the way he is because he's the smoke monster. Yeah. I don't know. It, it seemed really outrageous to me at first, but now it's making more sense. The more we hear it, definitely. Rich in Cleveland writes, I personally don't think that all the three sixteeners are activated agents. I can definitely see Ilana being a plant, though. Instead, I think the Agerians have rallied around the same old island dynamic of us versus them. Perhaps rightly so, after the new others, set apart by a special knowledge these castaways can't fathom, gunned down Caesar in cold blood. I'm convinced that one of the variables in the Valenzetti equation relates to this almost instinctive proclivity for division in human beings. So, first of all, that, uh, you know, everybody on the plane is not, and of course we said that's not the case because Ilana had to pass, you know, give the test right, to see right. if you're with her, but that it's going to be natural that even the three sixteeners split in half the same way that we saw the eight fifteeners. Yeah, though. So right. I think that's a great observation. And he mentions the Valenzetti equation, and that goes way back to the uh, yeah, that's a blast from the alternative past. reality game. The Valenzetti equation is the numbers that mean the end of the world, and they try to change one of those numbers to save the world. I'm not sure if that's really where the show is going, but I certainly think that we could see with the three sixteeners as we might have seen throughout history, even since the Black Rock that this way that humans interact and the way they betray and fight against each other is certainly going to repeat itself indefinitely. Yeah. Elizabeth writes, Wow, I am a first-time responder, but I had to write down how strange this episode felt to me. I thought it was wonderful, but... 
what is with John Locke? He had that same weird demeanor that Claire had when John saw her with Christian in Jacob's cabin, that horse built. I am still not convinced that Ben is anything but a liar and a truly bad person. Maybe he is fond of children because someone saved him when he was a child, but he let Alex die. So he is moved by all children except his own. As for Widmore, he is bad and Ben is bad and they are both hostiles. So maybe the Dharma folks were the good guys after all. Great thoughts there from Elizabeth. I mean, certainly we agree Locke's acting weird, but uh, and also he, she thinks that Ben's not done being bad. I certainly would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. But I love that last thought. I mean, yes, in the end, both Ben and uh, Widmore were of the same cloth, even though they ca- had a split between them. And uh, the possibility, as we had mentioned, that the Dharma Initiative is coming back, maybe they are the actual good guys. Maybe everything here has been bad guys, and the return of the DI is something we should look forward to. Yeah, possibly. Or we could dread it because of the case, and because of Ilana being bad, that the return of the Dharma Initiative could also be the war that's forthcoming. Uh, perhaps the ultimate point being is we still don't know who's the good guy or who the bad guy yeah. is on this show. We might never. Well, thank you for all your emails, comments, and calls. Uh, we love it. We can't include it all, but we love it all. So after the next new episode, please share your thoughts and theories with us. Email lost at hawaiiup.com. Go to the blog and comment at hawaiiup.com slash lost or call us at 808 and that's it for you all, everybody. That means it's time for the Forward Cabin. This is where we hide production news, rumors, spoilers, sightings, and all kinds of fun stuff. So you, if you don't want to know what's coming up, you might want to skip ahead. Welcome to the Forward Cabin, the forward-looking part of the transmission. It's a brief one this week, but let's start with the preview. What did the ABC announcer say was coming up next week on Lost? Hurley and Miles find a body in a van. Hurley says, admit it, you can talk to dead people. Are you on a secret mission? Marvin Candle says, your instructions were to come alone. But Hurley says, I won't tell anyone about the dead body. Miles uncovers the body and says, okay, so what really happened? Marvin Candle pushes open a gate. Sawyer punches Miles. The announcer says, next Wednesday, everyone on the island has a purpose, and his purpose could hold the answers to all of their destinies. Awesome stuff. It sounds like it's a Miles episode, and we've been saying for a long time, what is his story? What's going on with him? He's such an interesting guy. I can't wait. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. The title of the episode is Some Like It Hoth. I love that. Hoth being the uh, icy planet in Star Wars. Well, actually, the Empire Strikes Back. That's right. Thank you. I've been out-geeked by my wife. The official (laughs) ABC synopsis is suspicions about a possible breach intensify after Ben is taken from the infirmary and a reluctant Miles is forced to work with Hurley when he's asked to deliver an important package to a top Dharma official. So good stuff. We can't wait. Sounds like a great episode coming up. Now, of course, filming for Lost is well and done, but we've got a couple of little tidbits. First, actually, is a call. Hey, Ryan and Jen. It's, uh, my name's Andy. I actually live in Haleiwa here in Oahu. Uh, work downtown at Queens Medical Center. Anyway, I live about two miles from Police Beach, and I think the last night of filming there, I was hanging out in my backyard, uh, smoking a cigarette, drinking a beer, and I heard these strange helicopter sounds coming from the sky. And I noticed there was one helicopter that had a whole bunch of lights on it. It was all lit up, and it was followed by a second that was completely blacked out except for one little red light. So if you're looking, 
I think the end of the season, the last episode, whatever, it's going to be something involving some sort of helicopter, and I think that they were filming it that night. Uh, anyway, uh, enjoy the show. We'll keep up the great work. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks, Andy. Wow, it's not often that we get a call for the forward cabin, but I just had to share that one. He lives right by the beach camp. And we mentioned last week that one of the big shoots that seemed to be going down by Sandy Beach was this weird helicopter that was uh, that had not been seen before on the uh-huh. show. So this could be that helicopter arriving or leaving the island. So, oh, great. Exciting stuff. Finally, I got a note from Kevin in Tampa, Florida, another Florida person there. <laughs> and uh, he got to visit the island. He took the lost tour. He was very happy with his trip, especially because he happened to be staying in the hotel where the lost rap party was held for season five. I am so jealous. That is awesome. It was on the pool deck and his room happened to look over the pool deck and he could just stand there and watch all the fun. He actually got to meet Terry O'Quinn. And as we know, he's an awesome dude. Yeah, he is. In any case, he met somebody who said he was working on the show. He had fabricated a prop and he specifically had built an 18th century loom. You know, the the weaving Uh thing with the shuttle and the threads. And he said that it would be in the season finale and in fact it would be there with a weaving that his girl had made as well. In fact, that it might play a big role that there would be a lingering close-up shot on this this woven thing. So, I don't know. Intriguing. Intriguing. Who knows what it could mean? What could the weaving be? Uh, Are we going to see that in the uh, season finale or maybe somebody on the cast was just having a good time there with our friend Kevin, which has been known (laughs) to happen, but we'll just have to wait and see. But a great message there from Kevin. And thanks again, Andy, for your call. And I guess that's it for the Forward Cabin. And that means that's it for this episode of The Transmission. But we'll be back next week for the next new episode, which airs April 15th. And it's entitled Some Like It Hoth. Remember that The Transmission is powered by you, so please comment, call, or email. You can leave a comment on our blog at hawaiiup.com slash blog. You can call the Lost Line at 808-356-0127 or email us at lost at hawaiiup.com. The transmission is available in both MP3 and in enhanced AEC formats, so if you want to skip around past the forward cabin, you can do that. Yep, you can find the links on our blog and at the iTunes Music Store. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Stay lost. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.